you grow up in a religious household? Kind of. One of my grandfathers was a preacher but then left the church. And my mom's mom was fairly religious, but in general, eh. That's kind of my answer. Yeah. Yeah, we just didn't really like, it wasn't a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, not, I mean, it was at one point because I went to a Christian high school, but uh, mm. yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. How about you? Yes and no. Um, I grew up with like a lot of my friends had to go to church every Sunday and they had to dress up for it like growing up. Sure, yeah. I never had to do that. Um, my one of my great i guess great great grandfathers founded a church in georgia hmm. in henry county and that's like you know where all of my family is buried pretty much okay right yeah um in that cemetery and but like i didn't i didn't grow up like having to go to church my family sure. never made me do that and but um when I was maybe about in middle school, my mom started going to one of those like mega churches. Yeah. So I I went there because she wanted my sister and I to go, but it was like later in life. Like again, a lot of my friends had to go, you know, throughout elementary school and had to like wear dresses and you know all that stuff. Right. And then in high school, I was a member of the FCA. Do you remember the that? The Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Yes. Oh my God. For like a year and then I wasn't. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like it was, I felt like it was an important exploration for me. Yeah. Um, To kind of come out on the other side where I'm at now. I don't know. As silly as Fellowship of Christian Athletes sounds, I, I kind of feel like if you, you know, just like anything else, you you should have the freedom to explore certain things and then, you know, kind of land where you land. Right. Um, I'm certainly not religious now. No. Um, but I I don't super regret exploring that, I guess. Yeah, actually, something yeah. I'll talk about later is um, one of my good friends and a roommate for a while in college uh, came to Catholicism as a... He, he converted to Catholicism as, like, a teenager. Um, he had grown up without religion in the house and then um, started exploring Buddhism. And then he ended up in Catholicism, which he, like, his family had been Catholic, but he didn't grow up in, in his, like, he didn't go through, like, confirmation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so he came, like, yeah, in, like, high school is when he started um, being Catholic. And he came through it from a very mystic standpoint. Hmm. Um, but I will bring him up later. Okay. And I got to go, like, he, he was actually really helpful with a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about later in this episode. Mm -hmm. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched St. Maud? You mean the 2019 A24 That's film? That's right. We're back with A24, y'all. We are. We sure are. I mean, I they're one of those, I guess, buzzwords that whenever they put something out, I'm pretty much just down to watch it yeah i've seen most of their body like most of the what they produced yeah i've seen a lot of it i'm nicole i've heard that you heard correctly i'm topher i've heard that huh weird and we're the horror babes correct correct <laughs> and we'll be following the normal format today of our movie analysis podcast and how that goes if you're new here uh, Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew and then i'll take us through the plot and then in our third segment we will discuss said plot. So, Topher, who made this thing? 
This is actually a debut feature, uh, wrote, written and directed by Rose Glass. This is her first full full length film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She'd done a few shorts before this, and finally got picked up for this film, Saint Maud. Um, but yeah, she's all, everything she's done, she both wrote and directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't seem like she typically has a writing partner of any type. Right. Um, but yeah, it stars, and I'm there's a few Welsh names in here, and I'm just going to absolutely destroy them because I Welsh is it, it's such a strange language to me. I know it's technically related to English, but I it, I it doesn't. I can't. There's too many vowels in a, or consonants in a row. Just do your best, sweetie. <sighs> We have Morphid Clark as the titular Maud, Jennifer Ayla as Amanda, our uh, our patient, and really that's kind of it. Well, <laughs> we you have, have a Carol. couple of yeah. There's uh, Lily Fraser plays Carol, and Lily Knight plays Joy, uh, the former coworker of Maud. Yeah, it's a um, tight cast. Yeah, it's it's really really small. Um, we also have, and then we have uh, Noah. Uh, Noah Bodner as Hillary, the sort of new nurse at some point. Mm -hmm. Morphin Clark, this is also kind of her big breakthrough. Um, She's done things before, but uh, she actually has most recently been announced to be in the Lord of the Rings film series that's coming out this year, or I guess next year, 2022. Nice. And she was in the His Dark Material series. Jennifer Ayla looks, it's ridiculous to me that she looks just exactly like uh, Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah, if this movie had been made in the U.S., it would have easily been Meryl Streep. Yeah. Even and though we use her just like a shit ton, it's just, <laughs> I don't know, she's a shoe in for this. It would have been her or Julianne Moore. <laughs> this is like The Devil Wears Prada Part 2. Just throw <laughs> Anne Hathaway in there as, as our religious mod, St. Maud, and <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Devil Wears Prada went way downhill. Woo! Um, but you would. She's most famous from uh, the BBC Pride and Prejudice from 1995, the one with Daddy Colin Firth in it. Mm-hmm. She played Elizabeth Bennet. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But she's been in a bunch of other stuff. I mean, she's been a she's been in the uh, business for a long time. Um, so the music was from Adam Janota Bajowski. Okay. Uh, yeah. This again. He is. He's got six composing credits to his name. Um, three of them are from shorts. So this is again a pretty early, like a, a newcomer's cast and early uh, crew in some way. Yeah. This is also his debut feature um, mm-hmm. as a composer. Nice. And we had Ben Fordsman as a cinematographer. He did. He shoot- did. Um, um- Oh, what's that? What's that show we watched during lockdown? Um, Into the fucking world. Into the world. fucking world. Yeah. yeah. And, and when I read that, I was like, it made all the sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. He shot like um, the middle. Or he shot the back half of that of the first series. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I love that show. God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. That's a great show. Um, our editor was Mark Towns, really the only veteran on the crew here. Mm-hmm. He's he's done a lot of work. Weirdly, The Apprentice UK is one of his jobs. <laughs> oh. Uh, but he also did The Ritual, which um, is supposed to be very good. Um, yeah, he's been around for a very long time. twenty About 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, editors can get work. <laughs> That's We talk about that all the time, but, like, editors can get work. True. Um, yeah, so this is produced by, as you said, A24, but also Film 4, uh, the BFI, British Film Institute, and Escape Plan Productions. Mm-hmm. 
a really tight runtime. <laughs> 80 minutes without credit. Yeah. You... 84 with, 80 without, yeah. We pulled it up on Hulu and... Uh, My favorite runtime. Yeah, I pulled it, we pulled it up on Hulu and you just went, you got all starry-eyed and you said, 84. And just like had this big grin on your face. Well, look, I like to have my cake and eat it too. I like to be able to watch a lot of media, but then also get to bed at a reasonable hour because I'm 30 years old. Yeah, like 3 a.m. 3 a.m. is a reasonable hour. No, it is not. Fuck you. Not when you are in the fitness industry like <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, you run the first shift. I run the second shift. I, I'm where they go after they've done their you, workouts. You, you run the third shift, let's I, be honest. I'm true, yes. Um, but yeah, it is, yeah, like you said, it's a very tight runtime. It premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, also known as TIFF, uh, in 2019. And we finally got a release last year uh, in October 2020. Yeah, COVID delayed it pretty significantly. Yeah, so it was a digital release. Um, I don't think it had any theatrical... It did. Uh, oh, it did have a theatrical um, release? I don't I don't remember the details about that, but it did. It had limited theatrical release and then it had digital release. Okay, because sure. I know I didn't have it in the States, right? It was just in the UK. I think that's. I think that might be. I'm not sure. I did see something about it having a the, theatrical release, though. Yeah, I mean, it made a hundred. I don't know what the uh, the budget was. Pretty low, I would imagine. But at least was... on the actor side, <laughs> you'd have to really, <laughs> you know. Yeah, definitely not spending money on cast. Not to say that the cast isn't very good, just that it's very tight. Yeah, like it's extras. Just and, by numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but 1.4 million was the box office return. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I've talked enough. You want to tell me what happens in this little movie? Uh, sure. So we have a nurse named Katie who, you know, we 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 think it's Maud, but uh, we very quickly learn that it's Katie. Yeah, she she has changed. She's taken on a name like um like a nun would. Correct. Um, so it's a little ominous in the beginning of the movie. Uh, you just know that something bad has happened. Um, yeah, there's blood everywhere. She's crying in a corner. There's a roach on the ceiling. Yeah, but I guess what you can infer has happened is that she fails to save someone. She's a she's a nurse, as we said. Yeah. Um, despite attempting CPR, so then we, you know, fast forward. Katie is now referring to herself as Maud. Has become a devout Roman Catholic. And she's working as a private palliative care nurse um, in an English seaside town, which when we saw the big sign Coney Island and then I was heard so everyone's confused. accents, we were like, wait. It's like, are we just pretending this isn't Coney Island? But it turns out there's one in uh, uh, Yorkshire. Yes, correct. Uh, let's see, where was it? So yeah, it's in Scarborough in North, North Yorkshire, mm-hmm. UK. So she is caring for Amanda, who is a dancer and choreographer from the United States, who is terminally ill with stage four lymphoma. That That is no joke. Um, yeah. And to be clear, palliative care is, yeah, I think I might have said this, but end of life care. Yeah. So she confesses to Maude after, soon after meeting her that she fears the oblivion of death. And also, yeah, Amanda is drunk as shit at every moment of the day and chain smokes. Listen, we both said this, but if, that, <laughs> if, if we were in end of life palliative care, um, why not? Yeah, if I had all stage I can say. four spinal lymphoma... You best believe I'm going out like a rock star. Why I not? Am, I am snorting all the cocaine. I am. I'm going to try heroin for the first time if I'm that. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm like, if I'm dying, fuck it. Put that needle in my arm. Let's go. There's zero hope. <laughs> like, why not? What? Am I going to get addicted? Oh no, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
To be quite honest, yeah. Yeah, I was um, like, I've done a lot of drugs in my life, but uh, there's certain ones that I'm saving for <laughs> just such a situation as this. <laughs> right. So from their conversations, Maud has deducted that God has tasked her with saving the atheist Amanda's soul. Um, Maud reveals to Amanda that she t- sometimes feels God's presence and she and Amanda appear to be overcome with ecstasy as they pray together. Right. So yeah, that we keep seeing these very orgasmic scenes and I'm going to talk more about that. Those later. lines have been blurred since the beginning of time anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, oh, I did forget. There's this great scene. There's this, it's not even a scene. It's just this moment where Maud takes the cigarette away from Amanda and like puts it out and while Maud's putting it out, Amanda just pulls another one out and lights yeah. it up. And I was just like, that is such a good, like, that's good physical comedy. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I, that's a moment that I wanted to point out just because it's so fucking funny. I've been thinking no, about that. I've been thinking about that shot for days. That's a good nod. Um, Maud becomes suspicious of Amanda's companion Carol, who visits regularly, and Amanda pays her for sex. She implores Carol to stop visiting, as she believes Amanda's soul is in jeopardy. Yeah, can't be uh, can't be scissoring and getting to heaven. Yeah, there's this whole thing where, like, and we'll talk about it later, where um, Katie believes, like, she knows she can't save. Amanda's body, but she wants to save her soul sort of right, thing. Yeah. Um, Carol attends Amanda's birthday party anyway, and in front of Maud, Amanda informs the partygoers that Maud tried to drive Carol away. She mocks her uh, for trying to save her soul, and then Maud strikes Amanda and is dismissed from her job, yeah, big obviously. big old slap and like, there's a mirroring here with the nosebleed, because mm-hmm. Maud had had a nosebleed earlier, and then, yeah, Amanda gets one from the slap, and it's just like, and it's on opposite sides, so it is that looking in a mirror moment. Yeah, and we we have our, our um, nursing friend um, who has come in as well and is kind of giving us a little more clues to what happened because the movie's very vague uh, as far as like what exactly happened to With, Katie. Yeah, so jo- that's how we find out her name is or was Katie. Yeah, so Joy comes in and is like, oh, do they, are you with an agency? Like, she's asking her all these questions, and she's like, and they know what happened? And, you know, it's... Right. So it's just driving the point home that whatever happened was bad. So Maud is believing that God has rejected her. So she is having a crisis of faith. She goes to a pub. Um, uh, She's rejected by most of the people she meets because the weird thing about Maud, and honestly what is so well done about this kind of, like, character characterization of Maud is in the same vein as, like, Carrie, where she's weird by product of her experiences, right? She's a little different. Um, So when Maud is trying to be normal, it's off. Like, there's this weird... It's super stilted, yeah. There's this weird, eerie thing where, like, she's making too prolonged of, like, eye contact, and people are like, why is that crazy Or just laughing when people next to her are laughing, trying to, like, get into the conversation by laughing. It's this very stilted, awkward sort of thing. Like, she just, like, makes eyes at a guy from across the bar and goes and gives him a hand job in the corner, and then is like, ugh, I didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a brilliant characterization of Maude where, like, she's... She's weird, but when she's trying to be normal, it's even weirder. Yeah. And that's a little different from Carrie in the way that when Carrie is normal, we really, we feel elated for her. Yeah, we're right? excited for Carrie when she's normal. We're freaked out when Maude We're is. concerned when Maude when becomes Maude. <laughs> When Maude becomes Katie, like it's a Jekyll Hyde thing almost. Yeah. Like it is, it's two people. 
Um, but she does re- like like in voice and in look. She reminds me of um, Thomason, who we just talked about. Uh, Thomason, what's her name? Who was oh uh, last night in Soho? Yeah, definitely. Um, she, she looks so much like her and sounds like that very mousy mm-hmm. sounding voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she goes home with a man um, and has sex with him. But during sex, uh, she suffers flashbacks of the death of her patient and her attempts at CPR. Um, this man, like, she she has, like, a vision of, like, his chest collapsing, which is a really great uh, jump scare because it's extremely unexpected. Yeah, you think it's actually happened. Yeah, because she, she's on top of him um, having sex, and she has her both of her hands on top of one, of one another on his chest, and then all of a sudden his chest caves in, and it's just like, ah! <laughs> yeah. And th- so we get another glimpse of what possibly happened, you right. know? Um, we have, Maud is the definition of an un- of an untrustworthy narrator, yeah. right? Yeah. So we don't know. Um, so we unfortunately end up getting a rape scene, and yeah, it's a it's really good, but it's really bad. And by that I mean is that he he she freaks out and he like lays her down and comforts her, and you think he's gonna be a good person, and immediately just <sighs> wants yeah. to finish and. Ugh. Ugh. Um. Sorry, I I the just woof. Yeah. It's a really good scene. Like, it's really well done. Right. Um, but because it, it is that moment of like, oh, he's nice. He's going to, like, comfort her and immediately just flips. And you're like, fuck me. It's like, damn it. But well then, done, Rose, but I'm mad at you. I know. <laughs> but then as she's leaving, he taunts her by revealing he remembers her hooking up with a friend of his during her past. Her wild days, or, yeah. Yeah, or whatever. She's out just, like, taking a walk. She encounters Amanda's new nurse and storms off when she realizes that her replacement enjoys a good relationship with Amanda. In her decrepit apartment. I love that word, decrepit. Yeah, is there a bathroom in this apartment? I kept looking for one. It's a good question. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to that detail, but... Right. Maude begs for a sign from God who appears to tell her to be ready for an act that will demonstrate her faith. Maud interprets a vortex in the clouds as a sign from God. Yeah, and there, there are a few scenes in here where, like, she's getting back into God. Like, she makes the, the she takes uh, pieces of, like, scripture. Mm-hmm. and Or uh, uh, cardboard uh, uh, pieces of uh, the Virgin Mary. Yeah. And puts thumbtacks through them and then walks. Because pebbles weren't enough for her. Yeah, she already like, preys on pebbles. On popcorn kernels. Oh, yeah, that's what, it, popcorn kernels, oof. Like... Ma'am, I think the pebbles would have sufficed. But anyway, <laughs> Maud goes big or goes home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so then that night, Maud, who just takes her sheet and makes a robe, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's actually kind of fitting her. I'm like, all right. She's wearing rosary beads. She enters Amanda's house after the care nurse leaves. She finds Amanda in bed. You know, she's dying. She's weak. Um, Amanda asks forgiveness for mocking her faith, and Maud reminds her of the time they experienced God's presence together. Amanda then reveals that she feigned the experience and that God is not real. Maud recoils in horror as a now demonic Amanda hurls her across the room and mocks her for needing to prove her faith. In a delirious frenzy, Maud stabs Amanda to death with some scissors. Yeah. Oof. It's a... Uh, Yikes. That's... <laughs> so then we have uh, the next morning, Maud goes to the beach and she douses herself with acetone. Um, before horrified onlookers. Yeah, everybody at the beach is like, they see the lighter and they're like, oh my god, nope, 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 nope. But no one wants to get close enough to her because like they'll light on fire too. Yeah. She utters her last words in Welsh, 
glory to God as she self-immolates. And in her last moments, angel wings appear upon her and the onlookers kneel in awe as Maud looks up to the sky glowing with grace. The scene then reverts to reality briefly, revealing a burning Maud screaming in agony. Cut to black. <laughs> Boop. Boop. That's it. And that's the end of the movie. It is. Oof. Um, a, I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed it, too. Um, I love that A24 films are definitely their own. You can always tell when you're watching an A24 film, even though um, they're all... They all have their own differences. Particularly in the horror genre, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm, you know, context of this podcast, what I'm talking about. Um, and and how you know that it's an A24 film for the most part is no matter what content they're dealing with, mm-hmm. the atmosphere is a character. Think about Midsummer. Would have been nothing without the atmosphere. It would have been less, yeah. The Witch. Yeah. Very atmospheric, but also has a lot of... Because we've talked about all these movies that are like a tone poem um, in the horror genre that just don't come across. Like, um, what was that? I I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Yeah. Um, That's a complete tone poem that just doesn't really have much um, behind it. Right. Yeah. It's all vibe, no substance. A24 does a really great job of, again, making the atmosphere an interactive character. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, definitely the witch is a tone poem. We said that early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like, and to remind anybody or anybody who's new here or isn't familiar with that, that terminology, there are tone poems and there's actor films. Um, your broad two categories of like how you, structure a movie mm-hmm. so a tone poem is going to be something where it can be very well acted it can be about the time but it's about the smaller moments of performance yeah because a lot of the time you're sitting there without dialogue um you are being given time to live in the world yeah whereas an actor's film things are happening all the time it's all about like it's character driven it, yeah, exactly that's yeah. that's another word for it yeah it's just acting 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 action 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 right yeah and, like, good examples of that, like, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, full-tone poem. Mm-hmm. The Shining is an actor's film. Yeah. Things keep happening. Mm-hmm. There is tone, and they, you could, you could, the lines blur, right? But they, that's sort of your, like, to give, like, two Kubrick versions of it, right? From the same director that people yeah. are generally familiar with. Yeah, and we're talking about, like, you know, the dominating force. Because, yeah, there is obviously going to be, there's tone and blurred lines and everything. But what the dominating force is... Um, is kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I really liked this movie. I enjoyed their exploration of character, not only in Maude, but also in Amanda. Oh, Amanda's character is fantastic. So um, interesting. And she has barely any screen time, honestly. Yeah. I think we only spend about 10 total minutes with Amanda, if that. Yeah, we're only seeing it through Maude. Like, Maude is on screen, like, like almost at all times. Mm-hmm. So you're only seeing this through Maude's perspective, and that's why I said she's the definition of an un, of an untrustworthy narrator. Because mm-hmm. when you only get it from one person's perspective the entire movie, that's already going to put you kind of in an untrustworthy standpoint. But then when you add in this whole question that often pops up in horror films, in especially, you know, what we what people call psychological horror is um is this person really seeing what they're seeing and the answer could be yes and no at the same time um like the voice she hears that she thinks is god 
Yes. There are many ways you can interpret that. It might have been literal, um, literal Black Philip from. Well, right, um, and that, that's that something I was thinking about or, is because he, the God speaks Welsh. Yeah. And she speaks English, and then she switches to Welsh, which is apparently. But like, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, just because, for better or worse, I'd say it's for worse, but uh, the indigenous languages of the British Isles are considered. Uh, they're they're typically. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They are typically cast as uh, demonic because they're pagan. Yes. So, like, uh, Black Philip, you know, he spoke English in, in uh, The Witch. But, like, you, you'll see a lot of these folk tales, like Christian folk tales, mm-hmm. um, where the characters that are evil speak Irish or they speak Welsh or they speak, mm-hmm. like, uh, any of the, like, root Gaelic languages. Yeah. So yeah. that's an interesting thing to just, I thought that might be interesting to point out. So, yeah. No, definitely. And again, you've got this question of, um, is she, is she crazy? Is she, um, you know, and, and then beyond that, you know, you might question, well, what the hell happened? How did we get here? Right? Because you're wondering, you're wondering, is, is this a product of, she feels like she has to... Maybe she was always religious, but then this traumatic thing that happened in her job as a nurse with the patient Mm -hmm. that she couldn't save, um, maybe that was traumatic enough to where she felt like she needed to save herself, and then she, you know, drank the Kool-Aid and wanted to save everyone else. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I I find it interesting, right? So what's the the quip is that it's a... or was she traumatized by her by her past as, as like, you know, how she was treated um, by men or, you know, or, or a combination right. of, of it all? She's super isolated either way. And that we all know that now that that can drive someone completely batty. So, yeah. So what I'm trying to find the phrase, it's uh, no one's more devout than a convert or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which I find generally true um, yeah. because you've made a choice, right? You, you believe in your choice as opposed to being the choice being made for you. Like the question we asked up top. It's active versus passive. Right. Yeah. The question we asked up top, were you raised religious? And the, if the answer is kind of, but if I had converted to something, I would be like, oh my God, this is everything to me. Because I would have chosen to do that. Like, yeah, I been you would have to do that. more reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like my friend who I was talking about earlier, Stephen, um, he was uh, not raised Catholic and founded on his own. And he was, he is to this day a devout Catholic. Right. Now he is not a like, fanatic but he yeah he's very much catholic um regularly mm. goes to church like but he's it's even less than that it's not about going to mass or whatever for him it's about like the belief in the study and all of that he's a very smart person but like yeah if i've learned anything about being around religious people in general i do so anything in 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 large doses or taken too seriously can be harmful obviously but I think to to I think most of the time people just need something to believe in, something to grasp onto, whether that's their quote unquote spirituality or their um, religion or you know people want to believe that there's something bigger than them out there for the most part. Um, right. But then you you get these um, tragic tales, and you get um, you know we we 
We have the uh, trademark hateful Christians. Um, sure, yeah. You know, everything can, every pendulum can swing the other way, right? Yeah. Like, you can have balance and say, like, you know, this gets me out of bed in the morning knowing that I'm working for something um, or there's yeah, something like a, bigger than me or, you know. Liberation theology in Latin America, which actually was amazing. It was really great. Yeah. Like, uh, But then you also have Westboro Baptist Church. Exactly, yeah. You <laughs> or have everything else the Catholic Church has done. <laughs> where there is light, there is dark. <laughs> all, right. all right moira rose <laughs> anyhow so um one of the things that Stephen actually was really great for with me i was very curious about mysticism like i've, I've always been interested in it you know yeah. from like it started from a genuine place where i've talked about it on the podcast before i don't need to go back into it but like where my brain was uh as a teenager and early in my early 20s was not great and um so it came from like that but it became later this very like academic sort of interest, you know, um, like any sort of mysticism I find fascinating uh, for whatever reason. So one of the things he did was he got me a book called St. John's of the Cross, uh, which describes a lot of Catholic mysticism. And um, I can't remember, I, I, the copy, my copy must be at my mom's place. I know I didn't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read it a few times. I was looking for it so I could refresh myself. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, no, um, didn't have it here. But I remember the story of, uh, I was trying to remember the full story, but I remember that there was uh, one that I'd heard of, uh, one of the most famous like religious ecstasies, mm-hmm. which we should, I guess, get into, um, was the ecstasy of St. Teresa of Avila. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, 16th century Spanish uh, Catholic mystic. Yeah. Um, and she, so there's the official line where like, uh, like there's a Bernini uh, sculpture mm-hmm. of this. So the the religious or like the official line from the church is that she found herself so uh, overcome with let's see. Um, so she found herself so overcome with with God, yeah, that she stopped seeing the outside world and had like an interior world or like a, a supernatural world. Yeah, um, and I, I I could argue that that's what's going on here. That's I think exactly what's being described here. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, she said um, a complete transformation of the soul in God is how she described her um, her after her full like ex- uh, ecstasy and full experience. Like she would work herself into an ecstatic state. Yes. Right. Now that's the official line, right? Mm-hmm. There is a lot, and it's play. It's clearly hinted at in this film. Is not even hinted at. It's like slapped over our faces. <laughs> There is a sexual component to this that the church does not like to acknowledge. Yes. So I kind of love that, um, again, I was talking about the characterization of not only Maude slash Katie, but Amanda. And this movie kind of shows you that they're, even though um, on the surface you would look at them and say that they are very different people, they're not that different. That's what I was talking about with the mirroring. Yeah. that's That's what I kind of love about the, the undercurrent of this movie um, is that sinners and saints aren't that different. Yes. Um, even though... <laughs> the, uh, sorry, just think about 90 Day Fiance, the tell-all. One just dresses better. <laughs> uh, yeah, one has great wigs. Um, yes. <laughs> when will we wear wigs? Yeah, I would say that uh, Amanda finds her... The comparison or the, the, the reflection is that Amanda finds her her ecstasy. Yeah. Uh, through drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and sex and that sort of like external pleasures. Yes. 
Maud finds hers from internal pl- pleasures, spiritual pleasures, but they both want to fucking come. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, that's what they both want because every single time we see Maud being driven by God, it's an or- she has an O face going on. Yeah. Like when she's uh when she- we see the scene of her levitating in her apartment, right? And like that full on like um exorcist moment exactly so it's so funny She's contorting and like you've brought up two different films that another person also compared this movie to you said carrie now you said the exorcist you know who also uh positively compared this movie to those who danny boyle danny boyle simpatico (laughs) you and danny boyle same person same person (laughs) you also directed sunshine i did yeah where's my fucking money (laughs) (laughs) where's the money daniel daniel (laughs) Boyle, if that's your real name. If that even is your real name. That even is your real name. <laughs> Joke's on y'all. We've actually been Danny Boyle and Alex Garland this entire time. <laughs> Pick your player. Choose your character. Uh, anyhow, so I love those moments of like, yeah, she has the full-on exorcist moments. That's when she decides, like, I am doing penance. I am doing these things, right? So there is a long history of that as well that we all know of. I think fairly everybody's fairly familiar with like the like self like the one of the terms you'll hear is self flagellation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And flage- flagellum or flagellum in Latin means whip. So it was the people who would go around whipping themselves in the back. Yep. There were also like other forms of uh, uh, self harm as penance. Mm-hmm. So we see like uh, her waist, right? Her hips. Yeah. And it's all covered in scars. Yeah. We also see, uh, like, her opening a wound from her... Like, she burns oh, her hands. Oh, I hate that part. But ah! when she's... Like, this very black swan moment where she's just picking and making a bigger and bigger wound on her hands. Yeah. And asking her crucifix why he's abandoned her. Like, what have I... Have I not done enough for you? And that's when... That's the moment when she becomes Katie again. Because uh, it falls on the ground. Yeah. Which, again, exorcist moment, right? But yeah, I mean, there's... I think this film is steeped in a very good way in Catholic iconography. Yeah. Um, and and deeper cuts than just like, it's not just sort of like, oh, there's a religious character. Like, no, this is actually, this is someone who's actually studied history and the history of, uh, that the church doesn't like to talk about. I, then I'm not talking about the, the kids stuff. I'm talking about like, yeah, they, there are many things they don't like talking about, but one of them is the, uh, the sort of not party line stuff, the not dogma stuff. Yeah. You know, things you only learn about if you like go and to become a priest yourself. Right. And even then they're not going to ta- say that St. Teresa of Avila was having an orgasm. They're going to say, oh, she was filled with the glory of God. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, I use that for, I use that phrasing on purpose. <laughs> and there was a hand gesture that y'all couldn't see. Sorry. But yeah, I think it's very interesting. I love the the way that they, the the way that Rose Glass uh, and the way that Morphe Clark work together on this. In the like uh, Clark playing Maud, very good physical acting. Yes. Right. And then Rose Glass, very good direction here for how Maud feels her way through the world using God's presence is amazing. Yeah, can we also just talk about briefly how stellar of like a debut this is for right? most of the people that worked on this film? It's it's an incredible debut and um it's just a testament to how much 
um, untapped potential is out there. We don't have to hire the same people to make the same, you know, five films over and over again. Yeah. Um, but we all know that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like, I think, the, it, I, I think it's preacher choir. <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I just want to shout that out because this is a fantastic, this is probably one of the best debut, uh, movies from someone that I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. It's solid. It's, I, like I, I said, will be watching her for, you know. Oh, she's like, someone to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, yes. As are, as is the crew of this film. Cause like I said, um, yeah. first job for the composer, first job for the cinematographer, first yeah. job for the writer and director, like Fucking first solid. feature. Like the editing is the only thing that I thought was actually kind of weak in this. Really? Yeah. I yeah. think the pacing's a little bit off. That's fair. That could be a writing thing, but also for a debut, the editor can do more there. And I think it's so weird to say about this, this about a movie that's very tight. It the it either needed to be shorter or it needed to be longer, and I'm not sure which one it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's second act problems. Mm-hmm. Um, like the transition, just as just as, that's like my my one criticism is the the transition from the second act to the third act. Yeah, feels stilted and kind of empty. Right. Um, I want more there, and it's just kind of montagey in a weird way. And like Joy showing up at the apartment, and uh, I don't even know if that really happened. I think it did. <laughs> well, I, so I just here, question everything. So I think everything that's not religious does happen. Everything that isn't religious or that is religious doesn't. doesn't. Um, or that's it's a fair not. It, it's like I mean, we're, we have an answer, right? The yeah. fact that Maud, the final shot of the movie, it's uh, it's what three frames at most. Yeah. Of her burning and screaming after being in this like ecstasy moment. A twenty four loves fire. They a, really and do. A twenty four loves loves uh, screaming ladies. Well, yes, but um, euphoric ladies. Um, Strange faces. Well, they also love um, almost like stinger ends. Yeah, like final okay. shots are very important to them. So, yes. So fire and big final shot. Uh, the witch. Midsummer. Midsummer. Hereditary. And uh, this one. And this one, and then the lighthouse is not ladies' fire, but definitely iconic final shot. Yeah, yeah, it's an outlier in um, many ways, but like not yeah. not in that way. No, but yeah, like solid, solid, solid movie. <laughs> if you're gonna make a horror film for us, it has to end in fire and ladies. Listen, listen. <laughs> I hope that that's the writer that they put in with every single writer and director that they hire. They're like, no, it's got to end iconic. Where's the fire? <laughs> Where's needs, the lady? This needs to look like a painting. Oh, my God. Like a pagan painting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think my, my issue with the second act to third act transition is just the, is the emptiness. Like if you'd cut 10, 10 to 15 minutes off this movie and it's all of that second act stuff, like towards the end of the second act and into the third it's still a really tight film. I think it's a tighter film. Or if you play, if you give me more than a montage in the second to third act transition, I would like it more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I, it's when I lost connection to the character and not in a way that I was questioning, is she crazy? Cause I was doing that from jump street. Oh yeah. We all know from the, um, from, you don't even have to watch the trailer to know that that's what you're going to be thinking about. You just have to see the poster. Right. Great poster, by the way. Great poster. But yeah, it's it's the... And again, this is just a it's an experience thing. And I have a lot of trouble getting to... Uh, like, people talk about third act problems, and third act problems are usually second act problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, first act is always the easiest. Second act is the hardest. 
For sure. And this movie needs to be three acts just for the way the story arc has to go. But if it had been two acts, it might have been a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, or like just thinking about act structure, because we haven't talked about that in a while either, but how you structure films, right? Like you can't do the Shakespearean five. You can't do the Chekhov four. It yeah. has to be three. Yeah. And you can't do like the, the American two act play. Yeah. It has to be a three act, just the way the story goes. But it's it's that set when you do the three act structure, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> Second acts are really hard. 100%. Um, and a lot of people were saying um, in just like, you know, random reviews that I um, glossed through, uh, they were saying they were saying that they they had an argument that this movie was like, you know, not horror or not scary, like blah, what? blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I, OK, first of all, first of all, I want to talk about that there are many different types of viewers of and enjoyers of horror, right? Sure. Um there there are people who just want to be scared shitless and they seek the thrills, they seek the, you know, mm-hmm. um uh whether that's a jump scare or gore or you know, I call them cheap thrills because while effective and definitely work in certain films, you would be a very close-minded viewer to say that that's the only thing that can really get you. Yeah, it's much easier. To, it's also much easier to land those moments. You know, like it's much easier to make me cringe if you're yeah. picking your hand apart or stepping onto thumbtacks on in like walking miles in them. Yeah, that is much easier to land as a moment than say the dread I feel being hunted by uh, Michael Myers or uh, the the existential dread of the thing, right? Yeah, and this movie presents dread in a different way. And, like, shut the fuck up. This is horror. This is very, very scary if it's not just, like, scary to you. Sorry. Um, yeah, like, this is more horror than Hereditary. Yeah. Hereditary is not a horror film until it's the last It's a family drama. Minutes. Yeah, it's family drama until the last yeah. 15 minutes. Um, no, this one is definitely... <clears throat> Scare, it's scary in many ways. Like, we we do get jump scares, and we get earned jump scares, which are my favorite. Oh, they're amazing. I love a good jump scare um, when it's earned. Yeah. And it is it is more psychological horror than a lot of... than, a, than um, Like, there is gore in it, but, like, not really. I don't know. I think everything combined, it's, it's, it's a product of the sum of its parts here, where everything mixed together does make it scary and does make it a horror film because you're playing with that psychological aspect of like, um, is she crazy? Is she not? Uh, yeah. Is she mentally ill? Like what? what's happening? Um, we don't know anything about her except for she was a nurse mm-hmm. and something went wrong and she's changed her name from Katie to Maude. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like the less you characterize her, the more interesting she is. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that, like, not from a uh, anti-feminist standpoint. I mean that, like, in a good writing in standpoint. In a story writing, yeah. Um, because keeping her mysterious keeps you on your toes. Like, it's a, it's a good, it's a magic trick, but it's a good magic trick, you know? It's sleight of hand well, and it's in interesting a good way. Because it places someone who you would normally characterize as not a threat. Mouse, mm-hmm. Mousy mod, you know what I mean? Right. And that's the same, that's the same reason why Carrie works. You don't know what they're capable of, but you don't assume much. You don't assume they're capable of much. Exactly, um, yeah. So when shit starts going, you know, haywire, then your brain immediately switches to, oh, fuck, what are they going to do next? Like, that shit's crazy. Yeah, because, like, like Amanda starts, constantly under, undermines her and underestimates her. Yeah, when she starts fucking, um, you know, paying her penance or whatever with the, again, Pebbles would probably suffice. Not I think, for mod. Not for mod. So like, 
Bro. Yeah. That's like when I saw one time, one time I was at the Children's Museum in the Hamptons. And... (laughs) What a statement. Well, you know, nanny in New York City life. This child... There was a sea of Legos in the lobby. Kids were playing with them. This one child enters the... I don't know. I I hope this is worth it because this is a tangent. I know this story. Um, It's very funny. This child... You have to take your shoes off because it's like a ball pit. You know, it's just just like Ronald McDonald's Playhouse. Um, Takes his shoes off. Takes his socks off. Proceeds to walk across the entire sea of Legos. Like, doesn't go around, doesn't, like, just step on it for, like, once or twice. Walks across the entire sea of Legos while making eye contact with me. No, thank you. That's it. That is that is Damien. That child is the devil's son. Like, y'all, when I say I was in shock... That is Rosemary's baby. Yeah, I got out of there really quickly. <laughs> I said, I'm, the kid cried all the way home, but I was like, we have to go. <laughs> this is tainted. I don't want it. I'm not a fan. Ugh. Yeah. No, but is that Wife like... Wife swap that's... anybody? No, oh, fuck. It's tainted. I don't want it. <laughs> oh, Lord. Jesus Christ. Um, anyhow, so... But yeah, I the I can't praise the acting in this enough. I can't praise the writing up to the points that I was talking about. Yeah, just like I I don't know. I don't know what it is I need, but it's not my film, you know. Um, but that's that's what I want. There is yep. that I want that second act to third third act transition to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really my only major major critique here. Um, I feel horrible for Maude, but also yeah. So you yeah yeah you were talking about what she's capable of. Sorry. I the fact that yeah Amanda taunts her and undermines her in every single time pays for it. Yeah. Like and in the end it is her ultimate demise which I mean we were talking about she was going to die anyway. I think that's um, an oh we, we were talking about that we meant to say something. I I think that's on purpose. I think she wants Maud to kill her. Oh, that's yeah. That's a that's an interesting look at it and I I I don't think that I'm in the place to dispute that. I think Think about it. It, it. She gets to win twice though. Right? Yeah. She doesn't have to suffer anymore. Yeah. And she beats Maud. She wins. True. Because she makes Maud do something that Maud, like, she says, like, you can't save my soul and I'm going to mock you so horrendously that you're going to end my suffering. And I get to show it's, because it, Amanda's a mean person. She's a cruel person. Yeah. And she's bitter and that's fair. She's lost her career. She's losing, she's lost her life. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um, but she's a cruel person. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she wants to strike a blow to Maud and and be able to end her own suffering. Yeah. Make Maud suffer, no longer suffer herself. I like that take on it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Um, you want to talk about queerness in this film? Yeah. So, Maud is queer-coded, right? Maybe. I don't I know. I feel like she is. I don't know. So, whenever she experiences sexual euphoria, it's with another woman. Or okay. near another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never like the the two times we see her in a sexual situation with a man, it sucks. Like That's she's fair. bored. Yeah. And obviously the assault happens, but um, she's bored and it's like disaffected, you know. Yeah. Whereas when she like hold hands holds hands with uh, Amanda and experiences her religious ecstasy, we'll call it um, her religious uh, uh, coming mode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's with another woman or another woman becomes involved right like there's a moment where she's pulled to Amanda's room and she watches 
uh, Carol, oh, Carol and Amanda, and Amanda um, yeah. Uh, engaging in their whole dalliance and like the the camera lingers on Amanda's breasts multiple times from Maud's point of view and on Carol's breast at some moments as well you know and her, and yeah. her ass like it, it's it's this I didn't pick up on that but I that doesn't mean it's not there camera work is what I'm supposed to know you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is my lane um, so it's these lingering moments of where she like we're in Maud's eyes here, and I don't think it's male gaze. Even though it is a male cinematographer, I don't think it's a male gazey shot. I think no. it's supposed to be telling us that Maud has sees this as a sees this, something like this as a sin in herself. Right. So there's some some form of a uh, self hatred going on. Right. And therefore jealousy with Amanda expressing themselves, even though they're about to die. Um, ex- always being able to express themselves in the and being surrounded by people because that is where mm-hmm. they are extremely different. Like I did say that you know saint, saints and sinners are not that different at all. Sure. Um, uh, Amanda and Maude are very similar, but Maude has more to be jealous about than Amanda does because Amanda, while she's while she's probably jealous that you know Maude doesn't have you know stage she has four youth and lymphoma, health. she has youth and health. But Amanda, it seems like to me, with the amount of people she has at that, you know, like, get together. Mm-hmm. Her, is it her birthday? Yeah, it's her birthday. Yeah. The amount of people that she has at her home and just her general, even though she's bitter, her general disposition about her, her life. She was a dancer, a choreographer. It's, it seems like she lived out her dream, right? Right. And she had many people around her. She wasn't isolated. Maude is extremely isolated. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have anybody. Doesn't really have a thing anymore because she was traumatized by, you know, she thought that she wanted to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, assuming. Um, because we don't know much about her. She wanted to be a nurse. That didn't really work out. So she kind of had to pivot. And she's still a nurse, but she, did not, she doesn't work in a hospital anymore. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's like, you know, it's like we're just skeletons with meat on us just running around with different traumas just hurting each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an uplifting message from Nicole Hood. Um, You're welcome. You, you can stitch that. Embroider that. <laughs> Put it on a pillow. Put it on a pillow. Uh, yeah, so there's also moments where, like, she's jealous. Uh, Maud is uh, jealous after Joy, right? When she's drunk in the toilet. Oh, yeah. And she calls Joy and she's like, hey, I'm out. Do you want to come, like, hang out? I think I'm with some mates, but I think they're about to leave. And Joy turns her down because she's with someone else. Yeah. And that's, uh, Maud becomes jealous again. That's when she runs out and grabs that dude, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very lonely. She's very isolated. But all of her moments of jealousy center around women. Yeah. Um, and then she's only disaffected around men. Like, she just doesn't care. That's a, yeah, that's a solid point. I think I just was busy looking at other things to notice totally. that. Um, which is why I'm like, that's it's definitely there. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a, it's a queer film. Because we, like, Amanda's openly queer. Yeah. Like, Richard's clearly an old, old boyfriend. Um, and they're in various states of undress when uh, uh, Maude gets home. But Carol is her go-to booty call. Yeah, Amanda's the brand of queer where she's too good for men in her in her own mind. Yes, right. Yeah, um, and you know, a lot of women are too good for men. Let's just, yeah, like, let's just straight up and down. Let's yeah, just put that out there. Let's just be honest. Men are Facts. just chaotic and crazy. <laughs> um, but 
No disagreement. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Amanda is that brand of queer where men are there kind of for sport, it seems like. Yeah, a change of pace. A change of pace or like, you know, something easy. Mm -hmm. Like something that I've talked about with a bunch of uh, queer friends is that is that men are simple. They're easy. You know exactly how to get them, what to do, like all these things. Right, yeah. Women are more complicated. So it feels like, I feel like she probably... More involved. More involved. Um, yeah. Um, more complicated in the way of like, you know, it's it's not that easy. Men, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it's shown when Maude is just looking for someone to hook up with. She's like, you. Yeah. She just looks at a guy. And like she, she runs into him. He spills... He spills his beer on her, and she, he goes, looks like you owe me a drink, and then we smash cut to... Yeah. So the, this movie so, yeah. kind of, in a way, takes on that that idea as well. Like, it's easy mm-hmm. um, in that way, and that's kind of how... That's kind of how Amanda acts towards that guy that was there at the beginning. She's Richard, like, yeah. She's just like, ugh, can you believe... Like, can you believe that? Right. And then she's completely... I mean, Carol's also a younger woman and everything, but... Um, mm-hmm. And she's paying her and everything, but... Again, I think I think in Amanda's mind, she's probably like, ugh, like, I don't have the patience for men. Like, this is annoying. Yeah. Um, they're just too simple. Like, well, I want my kicks before I go. Right. I don't know. That feels Maybe. right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm spitballing at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, this, this is a great movie. I would definitely recommend anybody watch it. If you have Hulu, you can see it. It's already on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a tough watch. We didn't talk about a lot of the gore uh, in detail, but it's it's really hard in the moments that it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel it. It's very well done. Yeah, it's it's, it's very grounded gore. Yeah, visceral gore. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on that? Just reiterating that this is a very uh, solid debut. Like, I seriously, I, yeah, I can't say enough about that. Yeah, I mean. I can't believe it's both the cinematographer and composer's first feature. Like it's so yeah, pretty. We didn't. We saying, barely talked yeah. about how gorgeous this movie is. Yeah. Like uses really dark lighting in a really good way. Well, again, it allows the atmosphere to be to play a character. Mm-hmm. And the composer is absolutely a character is a, a, a part of that character as well. Yeah, it all works really well together. And yeah, would definitely recommend this to pretty much anyone who's a horror fan. I think that this. Yeah, it's is, a hard recommend. This is a very very. Very well done film. No film is perfect, but this yeah. is a very, very well done film, especially with it being a debut of several. It's up there with The Witch for like feature debut in yeah. terms of strength. Yeah, it's it is extremely solid. But yeah, that's I mean that's really that's really it for final thoughts. I think we I think we talked we covered a lot and um, go watch it if you haven't. Totally, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have that little website of ours, HorrorBabesPod.com. Sure do. If you're enjoying us, please give us a nice rating, review on iTunes. And until next time, bye, bye babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.
ya ve, ya ve. Ya ve.